Hello and welcome to Advancing Resiliency in Education with Jen and Jen. My name is Jennifer Baker and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and my co-host is Jennifer Johnson, licensed clinical social worker. We invite you to listen in as we respond to real questions on current mental health topics from educators. Our hope is that the ideas, stories, and experiences shared on this podcast will help you build resiliency and well-being in your own lives. Hello, friends, and welcome in if you're new to our podcast, and welcome back if you're joining us again to hear some great conversations between Jen and I. So today, Jen, um, you and I both get a question a lot of times from um, educators and those in the field that, how do I recognize the signs and symptoms that a student may be struggling with an emotional or mental health challenge, especially now through a virtual environment? So recently you provided a wonderful presentation to one of the Project Cowell districts on this topic. And I was wondering, would you be willing to share some of those key takeaways with our listeners today? Sure, Um, I think we can easily cover that topic. Um, I too have seen a lot of questions as well related to this topic. So yeah, let's do it. In general, I was trying to teach instructors, you know, as they're on Zoom, it's a lot different than being face-to-face. So as they're on Zoom, you know, how would you catch if someone is struggling? Um, And so really it's about watching for worrisome language. There are a lot of signs to watch for, but they're hard to see on Zoom. What it can be caught rather easily um, is some of the language use. And so if we are catching some worrisome language and I've divided it into three categories based on the research. Um, If we can catch that and you find worrisome language being used by your student, then that warrants a referral. Then you can just follow up and make a referral. Um, So the three categories that might worry an instructor um, are burdensome language, helpless language, and hopeless language. And they might be catching this language in different areas. So an instructor can be catching it in the chat box maybe. They can be catching it in the breakout session um, when the text is recorded. They could be catching it verbally um, as the student is speaking in the larger class. Um, Or they could be catching it in the written format in their assignments, their papers that they're turning in and whatnot. So you can look for worrisome language um, in all of these areas. And if you catch it, then that would warrant a referral and you would just follow your referral process that is in your school setting. Now, once again, there are other worrisome signs, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Low mood, significant withdrawal, uh, significant isolation, the giving away of items, uh, self um, harming behavior, no longer caring about your hygiene or about activities. But those are hard to see right now because we're all in an isolative environment. And so we really have to come to rely on the language that we are hearing from our students. If it's worrisome, move forward and make a referral. That's true, Jen. You you figure we're, as a species, we've mostly learned to see things. We've really become very dependent upon our eyesight, right? So we pick up on those little signs and symptoms, like you were talking about, maybe someone is dressing more disheveled than they were before. You're you're seeing different things in their eyes. Cause I know a lot of people say that they see so much in someone's eyes and we're more in a classroom now that's virtual. And many of the kids aren't turning on their cameras. 
Although I am hearing that they're starting to require that more often in classes. So I was really heartened to hear that because I think that that's a piece. So looking at some of those other ways that you talked about as far as in their paperwork, in their language. And I think that's really key. So could you share some more about what that language would sound like? Sure. So for instance, the first one is burdensome language. And so burdensome language would sound like the youth identifying that everyone else would be better off without them, that they are a burden, um, that they are a burden to the family unit, that they are a burden to their peer group, or that they are a burden to the classroom, or that they're a burden to the breakout session, that somehow that they are a burden, they are holding others back, they are keeping things from moving forward and progressing, um, that they don't bring anything good to the table. And so they've identified themselves as a burden, right? Oh, my teammates would be doing so much better if I wasn't even around. Or um, I screwed that assignment up and now all my group mates in the breakout session are really upset with me. Or um, there's so much fighting and conflict at home and everyone at home would be better off if I wasn't here. So if you start to hear that burdensome language, that falls under the umbrella of worrisome and that can warrant a referral. Um, and you can even hear that within texting. Mm -hmm. Like Definitely. if someone says, oh, you know, hey, come join us. And they're like, oh, nobody wants me around. I'm not going to go. Definitely. Definitely. Or um, we hear strange language from our students all the time, right? Like, oh, I'm just so drama. That's what everyone sees me as. I'm just drama anyway. So it's better I'm not around. Right, so they're actually using uh, terms that are exchanged within their peer group. You know, you're too drama, you're this, too much this, too much that. And so just really um, that heavy burdensome feeling. And if we can catch that in the language, uh, that's usually a sign. Again, there's, there's these three types of languages that, that would warrant a referral. Yeah, that really stood out to me when you talked about that in your presentation recently about that drama. I'm so drama or my family feels I'm so drama. I think that that's something that gets missed a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, many times people will use certain titles and labels and descriptors and they will use them against themselves, right? And that's a big sign for us to pay attention because they're, they're actually um, self-harming verbally, right? And so instead of their feelings mattering and, you know, matter, instead of um, their situation needing to be processed and discussed, instead of all of that, they're just labeling it this really heavy derogatory label, which is, I'm just drama. My mom sees I'm drama. Uh, my brother thinks I'm drama, whatever. Yeah. So what about hopeless? So the other two forms of language, helpless and hopeless, um, Sometimes those are easily misunderstood as each other. Um, and they, they are very similar, but they, if we listen really carefully, we can catch some subtle nuances. So for instance, uh, helpless is more internally focused. Helpless is about my skill set, my ability to handle things. And so if I'm feeling helpless, I don't believe that I can help myself. I don't believe I have skill sets that can manage the situation. I don't believe I have the capacity or the resources, or no matter what I do, it's not gonna matter anyway, cause I'm not that great. And so this kind of helpless, it's very internal, right? Internalized, it's focused in them and their inability 
uh, to maneuver and navigate through challenges, upsets, and struggles. And so if a teacher were to hear that, uh, that falls under the umbrella of worrisome language, um, and that that would warrant a referral. Okay. That differs a little bit from hopeless, right? So hopeless language would sound a little bit more like this. It's external that no matter what my skills and capacities are, um, it's never going to be good enough because the world is careening out of control, which, which many youth feel that right now during the pandemic in general. Um, so they're in across all ages, there already is an increase in hopeless talk. But hopeless talk is very external, um, that there are all these variables at play that I don't really have any control over, and they're all doom and gloom variables. They all have uh, detrimental outcome. They all have um, harsh outcomes. And so that's not really having any hope for the future or hope for others in the world and how they're handling things. So that's how they differ a little bit. So just listening to both of those types of languages um, would warrant uh, a referral. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point to, to make and differentiate between those two. And clinically, for, for us clinicians working in the field and looking at diagnosis, we take into consideration hopeless and helpless quite a bit when we're working to uh, just see whether someone's struggling with depression or need extra services around feeling suicidal, which is some topics that we've talked about before on our podcast as well. So true, so true. You know, for a lot of diagnostic profiles, all three of the languages are embedded in that in the criteria, and not only helpless and helpless, but also feeling that one is um, a burden to others. Um, so yeah, clinically, what a clinician would take away, hopefully from this podcast, um, is that you would catch the language. Is it helpless? Is it hopeless? Is it burdensome? And then you would go in and address that. It, it may indeed be all three or a combination of the three, um, but to address that because our language stems from our beliefs and thoughts. And so we wanna be able to get in there and address the beliefs and thoughts. So I know some of the things that you've been doing because that's one of the things that we really try to do on our podcast is not only talk about ways that we can see these signs and symptoms, but also some tools that we can all use whether we're in education as a teacher or whether we're working with someone as a, a clinician. So Project Calwell Grant uh, that I work to support is really to raise awareness around mental health. And with your work that you've been doing with some of the Project Calwell districts, you've been doing some clinical supervision and you've got some pretty awesome supervisees that you've tasked them with making some infographs uh, directly on mental health topics and how to recognize the signs that a teen may be, may be suffering from a, a mental health or emotional challenge at this time. Can you share some more about that? Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm so excited about this project. So <clears throat> this, the use of infographs is really a way to counter the negative contaminants that are happening right now. So, so in the clinical field, we have something called social contagion. And uh, social contagion is, is basically in your social circles, on your social media, in your peer group, whatever is going on, you are part of that group. And so you're contaminated by that group. And so, you, you know, 
pre-COVID, we understood social contagion rather easily. You know, if I was a peer that hung out with a group of peers and, and some of them engaged in self-harm, well, then I would have social contagion. If I ran into struggles and challenges I didn't know how to handle, I'd have an easier chance of leaning towards self-harm. If I hung out with a different social group and every time they had a struggle, they reached for drugs or alcohol, well, that's a social contagion. I'm seeing my friends socially, uh, my social circle use this. And so then now I've been contaminated with the thought that drugs and alcohol are gonna assist me. So right now what we have is this huge collective experience of social contamination. Because think of it, we're in the midst of COVID. And so you have all these social groups, no matter what kid it is, what, what youth it is, you have all these social groups that are being contaminated with thoughts and experiences like this. Um, I, I hate social distancing, school sucks. I can't see my friends. I can't play my sports. I can't be in orchestra. I can't do my choir practice. I can't do my, my jazz band. Um, I, my best time is being taken away. This was supposed to be my 10th grade year, or this was supposed to be my senior year, or, or this is my first year in high school, I'm a freshman, or this is really tough, this is middle school and it sucks. I can't even do middle school wrestling. We're not allowed to do anything. Um, you know, for high schoolers getting ready to graduate, this will ruin my future possibilities. I, I have nothing to shine to put on my college applications. Okay, so what that is an example of is social contagion. All of these youth are in little groups that are talking about how they are being robbed and harmed by the current pandemic situation. So if you picture a well, it's being contaminated. In order for us as instructors, administration, school, clinicians, parents, we have to compete against that social contaminant. We have to put something else in the well, right? We have to come along with um, purifying iodine and drop it into the contaminated well. And so the use of an infograph is doing that right now. Um, so for instance, an infograph is a one page picture that uh, with a brief write up that gives a shout out to youth across the country that are doing amazing things during these difficult times. Right, And so I have a number of interns uh, from California State University Stanislaus and the Masters of Social Work program that are out there researching, finding out all of these amazing stories, right? You got these uh, group of kids out of Texas that dress up in superhero outfits to go collect food and then drop it off at the hospital for essential workers to drop it off with paramedics and nurses and doctors. You've got this other group, you got these two brothers from another state that realize some of the kids are falling behind, so they're offering up tutoring, right? Um, you have a little girl out of Merced um, who is trying to collect uh, donations for people that are in need right now because of the pandemic and the struggles that are that are happening. That's so awesome, isn't it? It's beautiful. This, not the stuff is on the news, right? Mm -hmm. So I have this group of interns and they are assigned to research and find these thinking outside the box um, examples of youth. And then they put it on, they choose one story. So every infograph is one story. And it starts off the same on the title. It says youth are doing amazing things during these difficult times. So that's a one page infograph and then it gives a one paragraph story. So what it does is it reminds us that we are, we do have purpose youth, I'm talking about youth, that youth do have purpose, that they can be creative, that they're strong, that they're resilient, 
that they often are, are in the service of others. Because right now it doesn't feel like that. So many people are struggling and it just doesn't feel like that. So what I'm hoping is that with teachers, they would use an infograph. It could be used in the beginning of class as a, just a genuine introduction, an icebreaker. Um, it could be tied to an assignment. It could be used as a departing thought, but you would only use one at a time, right? Don't release all the infographs. <laughs> you would just release one at a time and then assign the students to do some type of assignment related to it and to think about it. Um, but what you're doing is you are dropping in a healthy contaminant into the well, a healthy contaminant into the well that leaves youth realizing, hey, I, I feel a little empowered. Um, I have purpose, I have meaning. Um, because they, they're not seeing those things right now. They're seeing all of the social contaminants that we can't do anything and whatnot. So I'm really hoping that teachers and school districts will start to use these infographs. Yes. It's like, it's like these little, like throwing out a bunch of life preservers, right? We're putting them out in the water and different ones are going to be interesting to different individuals at different times. So what we want you to know is that don't think you have to go and create all this yourself right away. You can find these. We're sharing them on our social media page. So the Stanislaus County Office of Education, if you find them on Instagram and Facebook, I'm sending it over to our public information officer to make sure that they get posted. Uh, the Houston School District is also one that has been sharing it on their social media pages as well. And you're welcome to go on and borrow them please, we, we want to get this information out. That's our primary goal. And we were really excited that the California Department of Education through the statewide suicide postvention response team, they saw the value in this and they actually shared it out with districts as well throughout California so that they could be putting this out in the water. And if I, if I may, Jen, can I just toss this one piece out there just for clarity's sake? Mm -hmm. You know, developmentally, kids do not want to hear adults say, you're great, you know, you're not a burden, um, you have hope, um, you, you're not helpless. Developmentally, they're not wanting to hear that from adults. So the infograph is used almost in a very um, covert way, right? It's used in a covert way. You really are assigning it related to something you're teaching in the class and curriculum. What they're walking away with is the awareness. Wow, that 12 year old collected cans or backpacks or, or whatnot, or, or these teenagers in the theater club in Texas dressed up as Superman, Wonder Woman to collect food. It's a very covert way of saying the youth are amazing, absolutely amazing. But we as parents and instructors and admin cannot say directly to a youth, you're amazing. It's gonna fall flat. It's going to fall on deaf ears just because developmentally adolescents and pre-adolescents are supposed to really be annoyed with anything that we say, which is very normal and typical. <laughs> it's a covert way of empowering them, giving them hope, giving them purpose. And it's not a way of telling them, oh, go do this. It's a way to put it out there to say, hey, look at these things they're doing. What would you want to do? And it goes back to our conversation about teens. Remember, we talked about purposeful moments, them looking at the future and finding things. And this gives them that purpose, right? Yes, definitely. Definitely. So we want to encourage all districts that are listening 
and teachers and administrators to please look at your web pages and look at how you can put mental health on that front web page where anyone that can go can find information about mental health supports and resources. So if they're feeling like a burden, they're feeling hopeless or helpless, as you heard from Jen today, they can find those resources more easily accessible. Thank you so much for listening. Support shared during today's episode is for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Jen and I wish you well and look forward to you joining us on the next episode of Advancing Resiliency in Education.